Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm going to move this here. Uh, we are part of Gateway's Jewish ministry. The Abdallah Fellowship is what we lead up, and we've done that the last five years. Uh, it's wonderful to be back. I think the last time I was here was two years ago. I had just finished my first year of grad studies, and uh, I just uh, saw Rabbi David at my birthday slash graduation party uh, in December, and so we had a good talk and was able to clear up some things on my schedule, come and see what the Lord is doing among you. I love that like 70% of the congregation came up with the children. I mean, like that's, that's such a testimony and it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I'm very grateful for my friendship and longtime friendship with uh, your rabbi, David Schiller. He has invested in me personally. He's invested in my ministry. He's invested in my academic studies and so many ways. And he's been a mentor, along with many others, in the DFW Messianic Metroplex. I want to thank my good brother, Jeff Cohen, for coming out today. And uh, Jeff's going to be with you in June, I think. And um, you're going to be deeply enriched and blessed when he comes out. I believe his cousin Akiva was here recently. And I know that you were equally blessed by that family. My longtime friend, Shaul Katsav. We, we go back 20 years, 21 years. I was a new believer when, when, when we met, and he was the one who was very instrumental in bringing me back into uh, the heritage that we have, because I was, I was totally out of it. I was totally lost, and, and when I got, got a hold of me, you know, I was, I was in need of some serious transformation. So we're very blessed to be here with you all. Wonderful praise and worship. Today... I want to uh, speak to you along the lines of a particularly simple truth. Father, in the name of Yeshua, we come before you. And Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings conviction, exhortation, and comfort. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the God who reigns on high and that every spirit in the hearing of my voice is subject to the spirit of the living Messiah. That no spirit other than the spirit of Yeshua will be glorified in this place. And no religious spirit, no defiling spirit, no unclean thing will come to twist the thoughts in the minds of God's people. But Lord God, I pray that you would bring an open heaven so that you would speak clearly to the hearts of your people. And bring forth your glory into our lives, into our homes in a greater measure. As we come into conflict with the darkness that is encroaching in this land, in Yeshua's name, amen. I want to orient you today. I pray that the Lord would orient us today around Yeshua's exaltation amidst the tides of darkness that are growing, the seduction of worldly philosophies and ideologies, even the lure to an intellectual place of theological knowledge whereby many subtly drift away. 
Many subtly drift away. Hebrews chapter 1 begins with the premise that Yeshua is superior. He's superior among the prophets. He's superior among all angels. He is just superior in every way. The writer of Hebrews then continues with this theme in chapter 2 with the sovereignty of Yeshua. And as he makes the the transition from chapter 1 into chapter 2, of course, those chapter numbers are just put there by, by men. But the Real transitionary verse is verse 1 of of chapter 2 in Hebrews. You don't have to turn there. But it says, for this reason. And what is the reason that he's speaking about? He's speaking about the exalted nature, the supreme nature of Yeshua. For this reason, it is necessary for us to pay especially close attention to what we have heard. What have we heard and what is he referring to? Again, the supremacy, the sovereignty of Jesus, of Yeshua. He says this so that we do not drift away. So we do not drift away. You see, we have to have the root of our faith nurtured every day. And the root of our faith is not a doctrinal profession. Doctrinal creeds and doctrinal professions are parts of our faith. They're components of our faith. But the root of our faith is Yeshua himself. The root of our faith is a person. I always say this to every Messianic congregation I go. I was just in, we were in New York uh, two and a half weeks ago. We spent two, two and a half weeks uh, up, up in New York, in a largely Hasidic neighborhood. And 70% of the congregation is Jewish. And uh, people dealing with identity baggage, large diversity of people from the nations coming in. There's a lot of anti-Semitism. Uh, so many Jewish uh, anti-Semitic attacks in the area. And yet... The people needed to be encouraged. They needed to be encouraged because they are under the severe fires of perseverance and persecution where they are as Messianic believers. And we heard many of their stories, uh, heartbreaking. Uh, They are are not large, but they are, are strong. And in many ways, it reminded me of Israel, except in Israel, you have a certain sense of security. And up there in the Northeast region, you kind of feel like the world is against you and not even the government is for you. It's a totally different thing to get into. But the one thing that I always state is that I don't serve Messianic Judaism. I don't serve traditional Christianity. I serve a person. I don't serve a system. I serve a man. His name is Yeshua. He's the Jewish Messiah. And if you're getting a little hot and bothered by that statement, then I'm hitting exactly what I believe the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, wanted me to come and hit today so that there could be a division between soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow as a discerner and of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, if the word of God that is being proclaimed in your midst does not come and does not bring a swift act to the root that is in your mind and your base reasoning and the things of God, then you're probably Probably not hearing a word from the Lord. If there is any message that you hear anybody give and Yeshua is not exalted, is not supreme in that message, you need to go and get on your face and pray for that preacher and not praise him at the end of it. 
Someone came up to me several years back at, at, when I was at Bat Zion, and they, and they came up to me and they said, oh, thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you so much for that word. I learned so much. And I, immediately my, my countenance fell and my spirit dropped. And I went home and I wept on my face because I was missing something. I was missing something in that message. There was plenty of information. And for years, I preached a lot of information theologically. And I sent people down the path to hell with inflated egos about how much theology they knew, about how much of the Mishnah they knew, about how much of the Talmud they could understand. This kind of conviction, it comes when God deals with us. And we see the supremacy of Yeshua himself. You see, doctrinal positions as they are elements of our faith. We can know the word, but we have to ask ourselves the question, do we know the God of the word? There's a big difference. Yeshua spoke to John. In Revelation chapter 2. And he spoke to the Kehilat of Ephesus. And he says, I know all about your works. Your toil, your patient endurance. That you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves emissaries. And are all not and have found them to be liars. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But this I have against you. That you have forsaken your first love. Remember then from where you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your menorah from its place unless you repent. That's a terrifying passage to meditate on. As I was meditating on it the other night, I went to sleep. The Holy Spirit woke me up. And he said, are you more consecrated to ministry or are you more consecrated to me? And I spent the last few days allowing him to work in my heart and to show me the reality of my heart. You see, these people, they knew the word of God. They couldn't bear those who broke his word. They gave him a measure of glory in persevering through persecution. They had true marks of what it meant to follow Yeshua. And yet he said, I have something against you. You've got these great identifying marks, but you've fallen away from me, your first love. As I was on my bed last night, I got home, went, tried to go straight to sleep. I had a vision of a bamot, of one of the high places that we read about in the Haftarah. And the high place had a talit, and the high place had a kippah, and there was a nice, beautiful Torah right by the high place. Have we dressed up our high places that are illegal in God's eyes with Jewish accoutrements? Have we dressed up the high places that God says, tear them down in your heart? One day I was on my face praying and I said, this was probably about five or six years ago. I said, Lord, make me secure in the areas of my insecurity. And he said, why would I do that? 
Why would I do that? Why would I make you secure in the place of your insecurity? If I do that, then you become secure in that thing, not in me. You'll have to deal with me being sufficient in your weakness. Yeshua tells this church in Ephesus, this congregation, they have to remember. They have to remember from where they have fallen. Can you imagine falling? Everybody fallen out of a tree when you were a kid or falling down some steps? That's a pretty awakening experience, right? Can you imagine being told, remember from where you have fallen? Remember from where I have fallen? I didn't know I fell. Can you imagine having that kind of uh, experience? I didn't know I fell. Where did I fall from? I fell? I didn't realize it. He is speaking exactly about what the writer of Hebrews is speaking about when he says drifting away. There is this slow, subtle ebbing away from Yeshua. There is a slow drip of mediocrity that slowly creeps in. And it might begin as just us skipping some devotions. It might begin with us saying to that little sense of conviction that he brings on you and you just ignoring it. It might begin like that, but wait several months, wait several years, and one of these days he will wake you up with a loud clarion call in your spirit saying, remember from where you have fallen. You've got all the identifying marks But you don't love me. This is not a heavy message. This is a message with truth and grace. Because he loves us. He loves us. He loves you so much. And it's not an attack on anything Jewish. Because that's a part of who we are. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices. We're in the 21st century. You could turn to Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. We're going to look at these two passages mainly. The title of today's message is Exalting Yeshua. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the seen and the unseen. Whether thrones or angelic powers or rulers or authorities, all was created through him and for him. He exists before everything, and in him all holds together. He is the head of the body, his community. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 If you can't turn there quick enough, you could just look up here. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Messiah Yeshua, who though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God had highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on under the earth. And every tongue profess that Yeshua, the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God, the father. 
These two passages deal with the same theme, that of the exalted status of Yeshua. Philippians deals with Yeshua's exaltation that has been accomplished through his humility. The book of Colossians deals with his transcendent state of exaltation, that he is before all things. And of course, there are various passages that speak of his exalted status. The book of Colossians, uh, along with Philippians, is one of the prison epistles that Paul wrote while under house arrest. The congregation there in Colossae likely met in Onesimus' house. Onesimus is the individual whom Paul addresses in a very small book called Philemon. And so the Colossae church, the congregation there most likely met there in the house of Onesimus. Epaphras, who was someone who had been connected with Paul, most likely started this congregation in Colossae. And so it's really the outgrowth of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. As he addresses the Colossian people, he's also saying, hey, you know what? Uh, Share this with the people in Laodicea. I would say in Revelation chapter 3, that church is, that congregation is also addressed as well. So if we look at the book of, of Colossians, we could divide it really into two parts. The first two chapters that are theological in nature, uh, Paul is dealing with uh, these destructive heresies and philosophies and ideologies that have crept in. The second half of the book, he's dealing with how that theology is worked out into our lives. And so he talks about how the indications of truth that he presents are worked out into our family relationships. They're worked out into our business relationships. You see, every, all, of, all, of, all of this has to be worked out. It has to be revealed. Yeshua has to be revealed. Rav Shaul Paul, he said in Galatians 1.16, that he might be revealed in me. So the point of everything that we know, the point of everything that we are to study is to reveal him to the world around us. It's not to keep it to ourselves as if we have attained to some place of intellectual ascent theologically. Sadly, I know many people going through King's University's Messianic Studies program, who had just such a low sense of of who Yeshua is. And this disturbed me greatly. And I want to say that if God calls you to a, a theological program, obey him. He will deal with you. At one point, I came to the place where I said uh, in my own study time, I said, God, I don't, I don't see how this is profiting me. And you know what the Holy Spirit quoted to me? He said, John six sixty three. it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Don't you remember what I said in my word that knowledge puffs up? Don't think that because you're studying my word that your flesh and your intellect is going to profit so much because if you are not allowing me to deal with your heart and get closer to me, then it's all for nothing. That was an awakening call to me. We need these times where the Lord deals with us, where he confronts us we're living in a society where tolerance and the ideologies of do not confront me don't talk to me don't hold me accountable just let me go about my way and be nice to me 
I'd rather you get mad at me and you wind up in eternity than for me to be nice to you and you wind up in hell. The two main ideologies, the two main philosophical things that Paul was dealing with at the congregation in Colossus was he was dealing with Gnosticism. And this is why I read the passage that I did. Gnosticism, it's, it's, uh, it said that created matter was evil. The creator God was evil, that Yeshua didn't resurrect physically. And this form of religion, it was focused on some form of intellectual ascent, that you had to have some form of gnosis, of knowledge, in order to attain to enlightenment, to come to enlightenment. So here, what he does is he destroys the Gnostic ideas that Yeshua is the image of the invisible God. He says, oh, you know what? Yeshua is the image of this invisible God. He has created everything in heaven and earth, seen and unseen. In fact, all the creation has been affected by this one person, Yeshua, who is God. This is what he confronts. He confronts this idea that the creation is evil, that the the human body can be uh, used for indulgence because there's no consequence to it anyway. You look at the crucifixion, when Yeshua died, creation was affected. There was supernatural phenomena, an earthquake, saints rose from the dead. At his resurrection, creation was affected. There was an earthquake, an angel came, rolled his tombstone out of the way. And so we see that Rav Shaul, throughout the book of Colossians, he's continually hitting these ideologies that have crept in through Greek philosophy and also what is called Merkabah mysticism. This was an early mysticism uh, that was Jewish in nature. And what this form of mysticism is, it's really a precursor to medieval Jewish mysticism like the Kabbalah and the Zohar. I would say it's not just a precursor, but it's also probably a precurse because it opens doorways in the supernatural that God did not intend to. And so Paul confronts this early form of Jewish mysticism that put an emphasis on angels, particularly the chariot throne of God, like in Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, there's a one particular document called the Hechalot Zutarti, which is a, an account of Rabbi Akiva's ascent into this uh, heavenly vision of the throne. And as he's making up his way through the levels of heaven, he comes into encounter with various angels. Some uh, are hostile. And so he has to present the an- these angels with keys, uh, different names of God. Sometimes it's just a gibberish, different words, asceticism, pulling away from the natural world was a part of this type of mysticism. And so Paul confronts this by saying, you know what? Everything in heaven and on earth is subject to Yeshua. Every throne, dominion, principality, or power, it's all subject to him. So what he is also destroying in attacking this and confronting it is this idea that we have to ascend to God. And he declares that Yeshua is transcendent because he's before all things, but that he's also the image of God and that he is imminent. He is close to us. He is imminent and he is transcendent. He is beyond all things, but he is also near to us. 
And he, he has loved us so much to come and reconcile us to him through his blood. My hope today is that if you are not a surrendered follower of Yeshua, that he would do something in your heart and wake you up and show you how much he loves you so that you can come to know him and love him. My prayer for you is that if you've got everything together, then take heed. Let him who thinks he, he stands, take heed lest he fall. And for us to be encouraged. And if you just think you've got it all together, but you're a hypocrite, my prayer is that your hypocrisy would be confronted by God's mercy and his grace, because that's what he does as a loving father. But Yeshua's imminence, how near he is to us, it's due to his humility. This is what we read in Philippians chapter 2. That he existed in, in existing in the form of God, he did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the tree, even the death on the cross. This is an, a truth that Paul highlights That Yeshua is not just exalted because he is exalted and transcendent, but he is exalted because he humbled himself. And what this means for us is that we are to humble ourselves. You see, we don't have to walk around trying to impress people. You don't have to prove yourself. The kingdom is not a kingdom of corporate culture. This is our society where we have to walk around with these little elevator speeches to get a job or to uh, impress people in the corporate environment. The kingdom of God isn't like that. You don't have to walk around trying, well, you know, this is my accolade and this is what I've done, this is what I've done. Psalms 113, 4-6 says, Adonai is above all nations. Adonai al-ram kol goyim. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like Adonai our God enthroned on high, who lowers himself to look upon heavens and upon the earth. You see, he's so highly exalted that he humbles himself anytime he looks at what's going on in the heavens itself. He humbles himself just to look at what's going on in the earth itself. This is how great our God is. This is how awesome he is. You know, you got these angels that are subject and submitted to him. Paul said that when he saw Yeshua on the road to Damascus, that his face was brighter than the midday sun. You know what the inner core temperature of the sun is? It's 10 million degrees. You know what temperature flesh burns out? 111 degrees is when you begin to feel pain. Paul says that his face was brighter than the midday sun. One angel in Revelation has a judgment and he kills a third of mankind. There are 7 billion people on the face of the earth. If through that one angel's judgment, you have 2.3 billion people dead. These are powerful beings. These are powerful spiritual beings. And yet, at the name of Yeshua, they drop to their knees and they give worship to him. At the name of Yeshua, they bow before him. The demons believe and they tremble. 
He is so highly exalted because he lowers himself. So when we think about, well, Yeshua came, had a brutal, murderous, torturous death. He allowed himself to be born through the birthing process to be a toddler. I got a toddler. He's back there. Anybody have a toddler in here? Huh? Do some of them think that they're 20 years old? You know, why wait till they're, they're 12? They're acting like they're 25 when they're two, want to drive a car and ask for $100. He went through puberty. Oh, we won't talk about that. We won't go there. How embarrassing that was for some of us. He allowed himself to be insulted, spit on, brutally tortured. And yet, what do we do often so many times with the knowledge of what we understand about what he did? Is we run around boasting of ourselves and of our gifts. Who is this God that would allow himself, this holy, wonderful, compassionate God who decided to come in our likeness and be humbled just by being born? Be humbled just to look down at what we're doing on. Be humbled in being insulted, spit on, cursed, laughed at, flesh torn open, large steel spikes piercing him. And then we cater to a culture or try to candy coat the greatness of his humility by presenting a cultural gospel. It doesn't matter who it's to. And if you think I preach the same way at Gateway, yes, I do. In that large megachurch. Yeshua even spoke of his humiliating death more than once and declared it was necessary to enter into glory. You see, you son, you daughter of the Most High, he sees that we're of much more worth to him than those petty things of our immature fleshly nature. They think that we have something to boast against Sunday going believers or that they have something to boast because maybe somebody is more charismatic or because maybe somebody knows the Greek better or maybe I know the Hebrew better or maybe somebody's from Israel and all, all everybody just getting tied and twisted in nuts right inside of them and losing sight of our focus by looking at our greatness instead of looking at his. What's the, the difference between being, being humbled or humbling ourselves and humiliated? The difference between being humbled and being humiliated is Philippians 2.8 says that Yeshua humbled himself. It is a choice of our will. We have to humble ourselves as a choice of our own will and self-discipline. Because humility, what it does is it actually puts you in charge. You think that somebody is, is belittling, belittling you? You're in charge when you decide, you know what, I'm going to take that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a testimony of God's perseverance, of, of the humility of Yeshua in my life. And I'm going I'm to continue to let them do that if they're doing that for, for his name's sake. I'm not talking about verbal abuse. I'm not talking about spousal verbal abuse or anything like that. You don't submit to that kind of, of thing. That, that kind of thing needs to be dealt with. But humiliation... Is when we often refuse to choose humility and we're humbled by an external force that brings us to our knees against our will. You look at many celebrities in our society and they're humiliated because of things that are in tabloids. 
Mm, that's, that's, they didn't choose that shame. Humiliation, what does it do? It touches our pride. It brings shame. But humility reveals our obedience, our submitted hearts to the Father. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of Adonai and he shall lift you up. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Yeshua, the author and developer, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, humility causes us, we despise shame through humility. Shame has no grip on us when we walk in humility. This is how we apply the exalted status of our Lord. This is how we apply how he humbled himself, is we walk as he walked. When faced with a choice to humble ourselves, we often point to those who don't or aren't. Why don't they have to go through this? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I have this? Look at this section of society. Other people have this. Why don't I have this, God? Why don't you bless me with this? You know what that does? It puts us in a place of entitlement and equality. And Philippians chapter 2 turns equality and entitlement upside down. In today's day and age, we hear so much about equality and entitlement, but we hear it from a standard of secular humanism, of Darwinism, of the philosophies of the spirit of the age, and we buy into it. And it is in the body of Messiah, it's in the messianic body itself. I need to lighten up. Equality and entitlement, they're turned upside down by Yeshua's attitude in this passage. And often the great temptation that we face as believers is that of entitlement and equality. I'm not talking about human rights. I'm not talking about civil liberties. You see, the temptation in the garden from the serpent was what? What was it? Yeah, it was to be like God. A form of equality that lacked submission to God. When Satan or the spirit behind the individual in Isaiah 14, it was the same attitude. It was a perversion of God's heart of equality. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, how you have fallen from heaven. Hillel, morning star, son of the dawn, how you are cut down to the earth. You made the nations prostrate. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of meeting in the uttermost parts of the north. I will ascend above the high places of the clouds. I will make myself like El Elyon. I will make myself like the most high. You see, the Bible does not teach equality. I'm going to, I just let you down, you know, very carefully there. The Bible does not teach equality. The Bible teaches humility. The Bible teaches having a servant's heart. If, if we served each other and looked out for each other, we would not have the problems in society that we have. You see, the reach and push for equality, it's just a reach to pull self up in order to pull someone down to the same level or to exalt ourselves. That's not what the word teaches. To pull other, it doesn't teach to pull other people down and to exalt ourselves. The word teaches that we are to use whatever strength, whatever gifting God has given us, reach down, grab, grab each other, and pull ourselves up if we're, if we're each other up if we're weaker. That is biblical equality through humility. 
You see, the next step after the concept of our concept of equality is achieved is that the seed in the heart of man says that equality isn't good enough. So our pride pushes us to exalt ourselves. This is why every country that has tried to push any form of socialism or communism has failed because the idea of equality is only incited by the greater temptation to exalt oneself that results in a ruling class of elitists. But he who is greatest among you shall be the servant. You see, the exaltation of Yeshua could never have occurred without his humbling to a horrific criminal death that results in his resurrection and his glorification above all. He's above the entire created order. He's above every principality, power, every ruling power of darkness in this age. It doesn't matter what the conservative camp says or the liberal camp says or the democratic camp says or the Republican camp says, when we die, we're not going to Washington, D.C. I love the president. I'm grateful for what God is doing. But we cannot get lost in the politic of our day. And here's the thing. We cannot even get lost in the politics of Israel. You see... It is a wonderful thing to support Israel politically, but it can also be extremely shallow. If God only supported Israel, our people politically, that he would never have given us over to the Babylonians and Assyrians. And it is under the besiege of exile that the greatest revelation of Messiah comes in Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Son of of Abraham. That genealogy gets into the Babylonian exile. You know, we're really supporting our people when we choose to suffer alongside them. That was the defining characteristic for Ruth in the book of Ruth. Wherever you go, I will go. You're in exile, I'm going to go in exile with you. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. Yeshua said, whoever wants to follow me, take up your cross, take up your tree. Deny yourself. Yeshua laid aside his glory to take it back up again. And this is why everything is in submission to his feet. Modernist religion, it has no place for this exaltation. Postmodernism questions this exaltation. You hear it throughout so many ministries, even now. How do we uh, have interfaith gatherings? What's the point? You want to get along with people, or, or do you want to show that you have a risen Messiah? It's a dangerous thing when we get up on a platform and give a word, and it does not reveal the living Messiah. And all it does is reveal the caliber of the person who's there. You should see Yeshua. You should hear Yeshua speaking to your heart, speaking to your mind, renewing your mind. The outworking of your faith being seen in your home, with your children, with your wives. It's easy to judge everybody else's house. It's easy to look at what every other ministry is doing. It's easy to look at what the lost need. And it's very easy to ignore the state of our own hearts. 
when we slowly drift away and demean Yeshua bit by bit. I used to think that the goal of proclaiming and preaching was transforming people. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, the goal of preaching is not to transform people. The goal of preaching is, is, is to exalt Yeshua. Because you can go to a counselor, you can go to a psychotherapist, a psychologist, and your life can be changed. You can become rich from being poor. But if you don't have him sitting on the throne of your life, it doesn't matter. When you get a glimpse of this exalted Messiah in your heart, the crucified life, the life of humility, it's worth living more than all the exalted comforts in this world and of this culture. It's the conviction of such a life that produces the fruit of it. It's the conviction of such a life that produces a heart for the lost. And I know that you have engaged in, in evangelism and outreach and you are seeking to exalt him in this community. And I want to encourage you, not belittle you, not uh, demean you, not um, make you feel like, oh, this guy is just fiery and, and angry. No, it's just that God wants you to have a burning heart to exalt Yeshua. Maybe you're not going to be as loud as me. That's okay. Very few people are. Hey, look, my wife tells me every five minutes, honey, you're yelling. And it's, I'm not even yelling. It's just my voice, you know. You know, Yeshua, exalting him was what the apostles, they practiced and they preached. It says in Acts 5.42, every day in the temple from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming Yeshua as the Messiah. As great as financial stewardship books are, as great as all the books about the end of days are, as good as all the books about the Hebrew roots of, of this and that are, they never stopped proclaiming Yeshua the Messiah. Chapter 17, verse 3 of Acts says, he, hope, he opened them and gave evidence that Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Yeshua, whom I, who I declare to you, is the Messiah. And lastly, as we finish 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul says, for we do not proclaim ourselves. We do not proclaim ourselves. We are not building our own brand we are not building our own social media network for our own glory. We're not writing our own books to make millions of dollars. We do not proclaim ourselves. We don't declare our own brand of our walk with him, saying that our way is better than the people who go on a Sunday or vice versa. I'm an equal opportunity rebuker, just, you know, if you haven't figured it out. No. You know, I mean, but, but that's how he deals with me. You know, I mean, uh, we don't proclaim ourselves, but Messiah Yeshua as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Yeshua's sake. We cannot turn his message into our own version and demand everyone accept our own interpretation dogmatically. It's very simple. I had an individual who's very learned, extremely well learned. And this man came to me and, he, and, and we were in a dialogue and he said, uh, I had a, a discussion with some yeshiva bookers, some yeshiva students. 
And uh, they asked me if I was uh, Jewish because I had a kippah on. And I said, well, uh, I kind of am, and, and, but I believe that, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And he said, I was stumbling around, and they said, it's complicated. And his response was, yes, it's complicated. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. If if it's complicated, then what 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 are we doing? Paul saying, "Hey, look, it's very simple. He's above everything. He came. He bled on the cross to reconcile us, to deliver us from sin. It's very simple. Don't let anyone cheat you through any philosophies. Beware lest anyone cheat you through any vain traditions. Not that our traditions are vain." We build community through our traditions. We build community through uh, the rituals that we have. But get your heart right, even if you get the halakha wrong. I'm glad at least one person from that. So music team, if you can come up. Maybe you're saying today, uh, you know, this really spoke to me. Or maybe you're angry with me. Uh, I don't know if it's your custom to stand. I I forget. Thank you for being gracious with me. Father, in the name of of Yeshua, this, this name that is glorious. Lord, I trust that that you have revealed your son, your son's heart to your people, and work in worked in spite of my personality, and worked in spite of the intonations of my voice and that anyone who here is sensitive father would not be overwhelmed by just how strong and intense it may be at times. Father, it's not about me. Lord, it's all about you. And in the times that we're living in, we're being faced with challenges through ideas that are in the atmosphere. And many of many, many believers are succumbing to those ideas and they're getting away from the simplicity of the gospel the simplicity of the basor that is to the Jew first and also to everyone else. So renew the joy of our salvation. Renew in us our minds to see Yeshua high and lifted up, high and lifted up, high and lifted up. Be high and lifted up in this house, Yeshua. Be high and lifted up in, in the traditions that are, are done here. Be high and lifted up, not as just some kind of centerpiece that people come in and say, oh, that's nice that those Messianic Jews do that. No, be high and lifted up in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, not with eloquence of human words and language and linguistics, but in the demonstration of your compassion, the demonstration of your acceptance, the demonstration of your humility as we serve one another and as we view our gifts as gifts to each other not for self-promotion not for self-commendation but for your exaltation for your commendation for your glorification and we gloriously have an expectation of your return in our day we give you honor and glory in Jesus in Yeshua's mighty name Amen God bless you all Shabbat Shalom